This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Do this scripture reading is from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, and Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 45. I will be reading from NIV version. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the heart of the parents to their children and the heart of their children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 45. In the king of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belongs to the priestly division of Abijah. His name, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and discreet blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lord, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to, delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happened, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In this day, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. 
In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greeting, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfil his promises to her. This is the word of the Lord. I will pass the time to Pastor Andrew now. A very good morning to everyone. It's such a joy and privilege to be able to see everyone and um, I haven't been able to come to first service, so it's a, it's a privilege for me to be able to see everyone here. So uh, why don't you take a moment just to look around, seeing each other and just wave and um, be glad that you have each other here. And if you're on Zoom, look at all the pixels there and know that we are together. So if you're new with us, a very warm welcome to BDBC. If you feel that uh, you have been around, but I'm new to you, uh, my name is Andrew and I'm thankful to be here. Now, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, um, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at this very long chapter, but it is a very, very exciting chapter. Let's begin by asking God to help us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing, amazing book of Luke. We thank you that Luke has written this account and that your Holy Spirit has worked through all the events in Luke, in Acts, and we ask God your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts right now. You, God, who has shown mercy in all of human history, And so clearly in the Gospels, we pray, God, your mercy is with us today. 
those of us who have been burdened for the week, have been troubled, have been stressed, have been anxious, we just pray God, your Holy Spirit, be with us and help us to draw our minds to hear your word and find comfort because you are a promise keeper. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our promises. We live in a world made up of promises. One third of our lives is spent at work with the promise of some level of financial security. Those who hate their jobs, they would say that they are paid to give up their dreams to work the dreams of their employers. But when dreams are broken, your employers may not pay you, and the promises are broken. The promises we get married with the promise of a lifetime of commitment. But many struggles with keeping the commitment once, the entertainment or the easiness is disappearing. And promises can get broken. No promises. We live in a world made up of promises. Promises by parents, by children, by spouses, by friends, by president-elects by marketers, by the insurance companies, by institutions, by everyone. A promise means everything when it's kept. But once it's broken, it can mean nothing. Yet we cannot live without promises. Now how about God? What happens when God makes promises? Because the Bible does tell us that God made plenty of promises. But can He keep it? Will he keep it? This morning as we look at Luke 1, there are three big points that I want to bring to us. The first one is that God promises to come for us. The second is that God delivers his promise to us. And finally, God's son comes to deliver us. So we're going to begin by reading some of God's promises from the very last book of the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, you can flip it or you can look at the screen. I want to read from the last book from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. This is what God says. He said this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now the Old Testament is this long history of people's unfaithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to keep his promise to save. Now God had made promises to Abraham, to David, to Israel through the prophets. Now the people have been failing to keep their side of the promise to God. But God in the Old Testament, he keeps enlarging his promises to them till the final passage of the Old Testament before it goes silence for 400 years. He promised that I will come to you myself. And then the Bible was silent for 400 years. God said he himself will come. He will meet his people at the temple. God will send a messenger of him to prepare for his arrival. He repeats that promise in the last two verses of the Old Testament. If you just flip your Old Testament, the last two verses, this is what it says. God said this again. He said, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. 
He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. God say, I will come. Those who turn back, you will find mercy. Those who don't, will not. So as we begin Luke's gospel account, we are entering right into the second half of the human history. And Luke does not want us to miss out that God keeps his promises to come, to rescue, and to judge. And so in this very first chapter of the gospel, the Bible or the story begins right in the temple. And the announcement of the birth of God's messenger. Because when God's messenger actually does arrive in flesh, it means that God has to arrive as well. If you have your Bible, just look at me and follow along as we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. This is what Luke records for us. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now we cannot miss this legendary picture. Godly couple, loves the Lord, obeys the Lord, but God's blessing seems to be elusive because they can't have children. And they were both very old. You know, if you're Israelite and you read this, you know this picture. For the people of Israel, they came from an old, old, godly couple who could not have children. And it was the intervention of God's promise that Israel can be a nation and they can proudly call the old couple Abraham as their father and Sarah as the mother of Israel. Now the scene turns from the old couple right now to the temple, verse 9, look at it with me. We're told that Zechariah's division, they were on duty, seems to be a regular duty in his old age. Zechariah is suddenly given the opportunity to burn incense in the temple. Now, according to the Jewish Mishnah, the records, this is what they say, because there are many in the priestly lineage, to be fair, they always have to cast lots who gets to burn the incense. And each person, if you get the Lord, you get to burn only once in your lifetime. Well, this is according to the Mishnah. If that is correct, then Zechariah, this is his only chance in his whole life of serving. This is the first time this ordinary day became an extraordinary day. And so it was because verse 11, angel Gabriel appears at the right side of the altar of incense and he announced to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, two things to mention as we hear the words of Gabriel. The first thing is that Gabriel says, Zechariah, your old godly but barren wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And God has already given him a name, John. The second thing that we should mention is that John, Gabriel says, shall be set apart for God. 
And he is going to be the first child ever mentioned in the Bible who is filled with the Holy Spirit while in the womb. You know why? Because his job begins right there. If you have just flipped to verse 44, you'll see that his first job begins before he even come out to tell his mom, Hey mom, the Lord has come. How's that for a job description? Now, Gabriel goes on to quote Malachi in verse 16, what we read just now regarding John's CV. He said, he will bring many back of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel said, God has answered your prayer. Now, two prayers come into play even as Gabriel mentioned this because the first prayer obviously is that Zechariah must have prayed for a son for a long time. Maybe not at the time when he's burning incense, but that has been a prayer of long ago and perhaps long given up. Now, the second part of being a priest, and Zechariah was one, was to pray for God's deliverance of Israel. That's part of what the priest does as well. And Gabriel said, God has answered your prayer. Now, as he talks about the birth of a child, you can expect what an old grandfather would say or think. Even to an angel, he says, how can I be sure? You know, I'm an old man. My wife, well, she's well along in, in age. Can Granny Elizabeth really give birth to a child? Well, there's a lot for Zechariah to digest. He doubted. And so angel Gabriel says, why don't you think about it? And so for 10 months, he was mute. Well, the 10 months of silence for Zechariah was a good way to build his faith because the next time he opens his mouth, his son was eight days old. And you've got to listen. When a man has been mute for 10 months, what his first words were going to be. And now, chapter 1, verse 67, Zechariah, like his son, John, his wife, Elizabeth, he is also filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim God's message. He prophesied about God's arrival, his son, the prophet of the Most High, and then he speaks to his son. Flip to Luke, chapter 1, verse 76. You know, I could imagine, you know, Lion King, the old Zechariah right in the middle of his prophecy to be lifting up his baby boy naked and crying because he's just been circumcised. And having praised God, Zechariah declared, he said this, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And with that, chapter 1 actually ends. Saying this, the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, if you have read chapter 1 of uh, Luke in your Bible study or you are going to read it, notice this interesting thing because Luke put a pause right at chapter 1 and we'll expect Luke to pick up later on about John. But the point is actually this that this dramatic announcement and birth of John was actually carefully intertwined with the announcement of the birth of God's own son. 
that the Lord himself is coming. It is meant to intertwine. If it was shocking, it was meant to pave the way for the real shocker. And so we read six months later, we do not know what Gabriel did for six months, but at verse 26, he reappears. And this time, he appears to a young virgin at Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, if you and I, or if you're Israelite and you read on, you will see Jerusalem, the temple, is that bright spiritual center. That will be how you have read the temple, because that is the brightest spot if you can find, to hear from God. But now we need to understand, Galilee, Galilee is the dark religious outskirt. When Israel fell in the hands of the Assyrians centuries back, the Assyrians imported Gentiles in Zebulun, Naphtali, the, the area of Galilee. So by the time of the New Testament, right at this spot, This place is populated by the descendants of the Gentiles. We call them the Samaritans. And the region was called Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, it was a place of bad religious repute. Twice in the Gospel of John, twice in the Gospel of John, we read this in John 1.46, Nathanael said this, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then it goes on, John 7, 52, search and see that no prophets arise from Galilee. It is this dark spiritual wilderness of not good spiritual repute. But yet it is also this religious wilderness that God prophesied to the prophet Isaiah that he will come. Isaiah 9, 1, this is a familiar verse that you might have heard on Christmas, there will be no more gloom for those in darkness. In the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations. The people in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, the first announcement of John's birth was at the religious center of Israel. No one can ever thwart John's inheritance and legacy, son of the priest, miraculous birth, testified by the most religious among the religious. But now the second announcement, Jesus' birth was right at the dark and religiously despised land of Galilee. Now if you were to take some time later on to look, just reread Luke 1, just compare a little bit of these two births, you will see plenty of parallels and also contrasts. Perhaps as you read with your group later, if you have Bible study, look at the parallels and the contrast. In parallel, both births were announced by a named angel, Gabriel. Both children were named by God. Both, child, both children were of miraculous birth, one greater than the other. Now, John was conceived by an elderly, barren couple, and it was a miracle, as great as the one for Abraham and Sarah. It was a miracle every Israelite had to acknowledge when they look at John. They can't deny it because they'll be denying themselves because it is the same God that made Israel them. In a sense, every Israelite birth is a miracle because without Abraham and Sarah's birth, Israel does not exist. So John in the epic center, the right in the religious center, everyone sees this birth is miraculous birth. But in fact, John's miraculous birth is meant to make way 
for the even greater miraculous birth, the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, virgin birth was prophesied back in Isaiah 7, 14, just one verse. And now Gabriel comes to announce this fulfillment. Look with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 30, and listen to this commotion. Gabriel appears, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now another fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It is an Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. Verse 37, but no word from God will ever fail. Now, how amazing it is for God to literally deliver his promise. Not one miraculous birth, two miraculous birth, one greater than the other. Now, the virgin will give birth to Jesus, son of the Most High. We know this story. He will sit on the throne of King David to rule God's people. He will not be like King Herod in verse 5, whose rule is weak, whose reign is short. Jesus' reign and his kingdom will never end. Well, we all know this story because this is our Christmas story. But let's put it this way, not everyone believes in virgin birth. There are many nowadays, even in Theophilus, of verses 3 to 4, who might question the virgin birth of Jesus. Some of our friends, even our relatives, might be stumbled by the very fact of this idea of virgin birth. So liberal colleges, even nowadays, were outrightly denying the virgin birth, calling it ignorance, myths. But you know what? Dr. Luke is not ignorant how babies are born, and he carefully records the events because he knows that it is true. He recorded Mary's own shock. Mary said, this, how, how can this be? He's not thinking about God's power. He's thinking about herself because I am a virgin. Now, Mary may not have a PhD in biology, but she sure knows what she needs to have a child. But she knows that this is God's work. If anyone knew that Jesus was truly virgin birth, it has to be Mary, isn't it? Think about it. Now, Mark Laurie, he's a singer, a songwriter, a Christian comedian. He gave this really insightful reflection of Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus. Laurie's mother once said that, no, if anyone knew Jesus was a virgin birth, it would be Mary. The silence of Mary, in fact, on the cross was such a testimony of the fact of who Jesus is. Quoting Laurie, he said this, now here's this Jewish mother 
whose firstborn son was dying on the cross, not for healing the sick that would have gotten you on the TV shows. No, he crucified Jesus because he said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, they crucified Jesus not because he claimed to be a good teacher or even a great preacher. He claimed to be God on food. Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and they crucified him. And Mary never opened her mouth. Mark Murray said, if he, speaking about himself, if he was crucified in his own own hometown, claiming to be God, his mother will be kicking a feet. His mom will be saying that, no, this boy, he's crazy, but don't kill him. He's a liar, but don't kill him. He's, he's crazy, he's a lunatic, but don't kill my son. But the silence of Mary on the cross was such a great testimony of who Jesus is. Now, dear friends, Mary's silence at that last part speaks way louder than all the voices and screamings of wanting Jesus murdered. Her silence declared she knew her son was right. It was all coming back to her that he was virgin birth by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Most High God. Mary remembered the very first words of Jesus recorded in Luke next week. Now again, from Mark Laurie's reflection, he said this, no, almost going three days, she was going crazy for three days because she has just lost her, she has just lost God's son. And when she found Jesus sitting in the temple, she looked at Jesus with her astonished eyes and she said, son, why are you treating us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. The 12-year-old Jesus looked up at his mom and he said these words, didn't you know I have to be at my father's house? Well, any other Jewish boy trying to do this hat trick on a mom after they've you know, just um, ditched their parents for three days, they're going to get a very red butt. Not Jesus. Mary bought it. Mary bought what Jesus said. She may not fully understand what Jesus was doing, but she sure knew Jesus was right. Joseph would know Jesus is right. Now, dear friends, some of us probably struggle with the idea of virgin birth, whether you're online or you're here. How can I believe in virgin birth? What a fundamental hurdle, dear brothers, sisters, friends. The fundamental hurdle we have to cross is actually not virgin birth, but whether we believe that God cares enough to reach out to you and me in flesh, that He actually cares enough to keep His promise to messed up people like us. Intentionally, John's miraculous birth sets in motion that God can intervene any way he wants. So whether it's virgin birth, whether it's resurrection of the dead, whether it is about the kingdom of heaven that is coming, the fundamental hurdle we have to cross is not miracles. It's whether God cares. Do you think God cares for you? To reach out and be born in Galilee 
not some King Herod's palace, not some high priest's daughter, an unknown child, unknown virgin girl in the dark places so that he can reach out to people who know they have no status and are unknown before God. How glorious is our God when he delivers his promise. Now here lies the difference between the knowledge of humans and the wisdom of God. Now as we begin our series in Luke's gospel and we're just getting started, we need to understand this. We can never discover God. It is the sheer arrogance of humanity to think we can discover God. God can only be revealed by him. And that is why Luke writes this. We can never build a babel or skyscraper that's high enough to reach God because by nightfall we are facing hell. Only God can reach down to us. And so Luke writes the eyewitness account of God revealing himself through the life, through the ministry, through the death, through the resurrection, through the ascension of Jesus, and that we will trust that he is coming back as well. In this announcement and the birth of Jesus, God delivers his promise to visit us and to save us. Now, dear friends, a soldier may fail to keep his promise to his loved one. He says, I'm coming back from the war, and he can't. A loving husband may fail to keep his promise to his wife that she will not be a widow. Because no matter how honorable their, their desires, their abilities can't match the desires all the time. But God always keeps his promise because he is willing and he is able. Now as we wrap our journey today, I want us to listen to the songs of Mary and Zechariah for the sing of our promise keeper God and of Jesus who comes to deliver us. Now Mary said this, if you have a Bible, um, look with me to verse 46 to 50. Uh, look at your Bible. 46. This is the song of Mary. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he is mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy his name, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now just now we mentioned God chose a virgin young girl of no status to bear the son who will save those who have no status. Mary acknowledges it and she says this mercy extends to all who recognize the same. God, the Savior, the Mighty One, the Holy One, He lavishes His mercy on Mary and through Jesus, God now extends that to you, to me, to everyone. But now the big question I want to ask is this. Do we think that we need God's mercy? Now some of us may be thinking right now, you know what, I know what I need. I really need some sleep, especially those with young kids and some of those who have just probably one kids that are going to school and waking up, I really need some sleep. Some of us say, I, I really need a better job. I need more money to retire. I need health. I need time. I need, I need that holiday. I need happiness. I need a companion. I need friends. I need a marriage partner. I need, I need a dog. Better still, I need a rabbit. But do we really need God's mercy? 
Do you feel that you need God's mercy? Now, some of us may think practically we need many things, but emotionally, we actually do not feel the urgent need for God's mercy. Maybe one day, not today. But friends, I'd like to pause and invite you to think with me. What is the real situations that you and I are in right now? We live in this world full of problems and we hear countless voices every day or in your emails, voices telling us what we need to solve our problems. We have religions, we have philosophers, we have educators, we have bankers, we have marketers, we have matchmakers, we have scammers, we have scientists, we have spiritualists, we have activists, we have all the other experts that ends with is, all offering us solution to our human problem to fill our human needs. But you know what's the reality? The reality is this. Unless we can all agree what is the root of our problems, all these needs to bring fuel and solution are like placing masking tape over an erupting volcano. Because it's not going to fill the gap. We miss the point if we miss the root of our real problem. So what is the real problem and what is the root of all our problems? What do we really need? And what the Bible declares is that the root of all our problems is in our rebellion against God. You have heard this before. It's our attempt to overthrow Him to, to live our lives the way that we like. We can have a God as long as He goes our way. He doesn't disrupt our desires. No, we make enemies with God by being our own God. And so we are not merely sinners when we commit sins. We commit sin because we are sinners. Because by our human nature, our tendency is to rebel against God. So it is the sinner that sins. Now Carson puts it strikingly in his brief commentary on Genesis 5. I read this to you and put it on screen. Because it's a mouthful, he said this Whether we are perpetrators or victims, our plight is tied to sin, ours and that of others. Further, whether our misery is the result of explicit human malice or the fruit of natural disaster, Genesis 3 insists that this is a disordered world, a broken world, and this state of affairs has come about because of human rebellion. At the end of the day, friends, brothers, sisters, it will not be the external wars or sickness that will totally destroy us. It will be the sin in us that will totally bring us to destruction. The war will not end us. Diseases will not end us. But our sin will. And that's why Jesus came. Let me summarize what Mary said in verses 51 to 53. You can look at it. Let me summarize it. Mary's song, he said this, To the proud who cannot hide their thoughts from God, to the rulers who feel entitled to do whatever they like, to the rich who think that they have no need for God, God will scatter them. God will bring them down. God will send them away. They will not receive God's extended mercy, for they do not fear God. But to the humble, the hungry, that is those who recognize their desperation, God will not break them further. Instead, He will lift them up and fill them with good things. 
saying God will give them life. No, this is what God has revealed in the past, and this is what Jesus, the Son of God, will do for those who call on his name, because this verse 54 and 55, this is what Mary sang. The Lord has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. No, Mary was not simply singing about the past mercies of God. Right now in first chapter of Luke, Mary is also singing the mercy that God has now already fulfilled forever with the coming of Jesus. Now friends, the question comes back, do you think that you need God's mercy? The answer is, depends on whether you fear God. Because if you don't, you don't need his mercy. Because we'll think we can deal with it. But if we do, that mercy is extended to Abraham and his descendants. And this is what the New Testament tells us. That all who have faith in Jesus are the descendants of Abraham. I'm going to read to you Galatians 3, 6-7. You don't have to flip it. This is why it says, Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as Righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now, if we fear God and put our faith in Jesus, we too receive his mercy because he has already extended it to those who come to him. If he has come in flesh, will he not extend it to us if only we ask? And so Zechariah's song from 68 to 79 closes this whole chapter praising God because God has come to his people and redeem them. You can look at that, but I'll tell you what Zechariah's song said in verse 69, that Jesus, he is the promised horn of salvation, the savior king from the house of David. Jesus, he is the savior for God's people from the enemies, verse 71. Jesus, he is the revealed mercy, the fulfilled covenant, the oath sworn to Abraham, verses 72, 73. And Jesus, like his heavenly father, in history, Jesus now comes to be our rescuer. God has said in Exodus, remember when he rescues people, let my people go so that they can worship me. And here, this is what Jesus will do in 74, 75. He will come to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Jesus, God's son, comes to deliver us from sin, from death, to enable us to serve God without fear of Satan, without fear of sin, without fear of judgment. What fears do we have? Just remove them so that we can live how we are intended to be when we were first made holy and righteous. Let's end here. Promises. We live in a world made of promises. Many people made empty promises. Some of us are guilty of that. I am. I tell my son I'm going for Fishing and the rain comes. It's a great excuse to say, um, let's do it another time. Perhaps you have as well. Many make empty promises without intention of keeping them. Many make great promises, but they don't have power to fulfill them. But not God. God made the greatest promise to save broken sinners like us, to judge the world. It will cost him everything, but God is willing and he is able. And so the story continues next week when the son himself appears. I hope you'll be here next week. Bring your friends along or your family. Get them to hear 
the voice of the God of the King Himself and God Himself. I want to close this time in prayer and ask God to help us as we begin the journey of Luke. Let's pray. Oh Father, we are so thankful that the gospel has been written. Thank you, Father, that it is always alive because it speaks of history when you care enough to come in flesh that people can touch you. But more importantly, you show us that you care enough to touch lepers, broken sinners, dead people like us so that we can come alive again. Oh God, we pray that as we flip into the Gospel of Luke, that God, you will help us not to engage us with intellectual capability, but that your Holy Spirit that works so mightily will also engage us in our hearts so that we have this spiritual affection for you. For Christians, some of us who have been tired and weary, God, that you'll stir our hearts once again, reminding us of your love. For those of us who have not met Jesus, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit help us and we will meet him. Pray all this for your glory and your glorious great promise fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pastor Andrew, for sharing the word of God with us. Uh, just some of my random observation, you know, it's really encouraging to, to see so many people gather today for the worship today. Yeah, so this is the two questions um, that um, we can break into our small group. Uh, for those that's in Zoom, uh, we will put you in a breakout room. And for those uh, that is in the hall, uh, probably just gather, you know, uh, in a group of five, less than five um, nearby, and to discuss these two questions. So we will give you around five minutes to, to discuss. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.